Welcome to the Pop Cult Podcast. Here are your hosts Ariana and Seth. This is the Pop Cult Podcast. I'm Seth. I'm Ariana. And today we're going to be doing an unexpected, unplanned double feature of motherhood and horror. Uh, a little later, we're going to be reviewing Evil Dead Rise, the sequel, or I guess latest movie in the Evil Dead franchise that are very loosely connected to each other in a lot of ways. Uh, but first up, we are going to be looking at the feature film debut of a Mexican, I think is she a Mexican director? Uh, Michelle Garza Cervera and her film Juicera the Bone Woman. Uh, in this film, uh, Valeria's joy of becoming a first-time mother is quickly taken away when she's cursed by a sinister entity. As danger closes in, she's forced deeper into a chilling world of dark magic that threatens to consume her. Uh, so, Ariana, you are the resident Spanish-speaking critic here at uh, Pop Cult. <laughs> what did you think of Huesera the Bone Woman? I thought overall it was a great first um movie debut. Um one thing I need to remark is like the casting of the younger characters of Valeria and Octavia were spot on. I don't think you could have <clears throat> noticed like a few times sometimes you get someone that's younger and you're like, oh well, I could see a little they looked exactly like the the actors they were playing. Yes, or the characters they were playing. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was very well acted. It was doing something that we have complained in the past of show don't tell kind of thing, mm -hmm. which I feel like a lot of Western movies are like guilty of. There's a lot of exposition to yes. let you know what's going on. And instead, we kind of get this point of view that I think is very interesting that you are supposed to look at Valeria and want her to be a mother and be happy in her relationship until you start digging in a little bit deeper and realize that she has surrounded herself in a life of falsehood due to a tragedy that has happened in her life. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's another in those like horror as metaphor movies. Yeah. So people who aren't into that type of horror are probably not going to like this movie. Mm -hmm. There are not jump scares in the movie. Anytime there's a scare, it's connected to the horror, which is yeah. something both of our movies today, I feel, have in common where there was never fake outs. No. If something scary happened, it was connected to the core horror of the movie. Yeah. Um, I think the the lead in this movie natalia solian i think she's the best part of the movie she really sells it to me she seemed very believable authentic in that role yeah, of valeria um it's i i would say that it comes in my perfect runtime it's an hour and 33 minutes yeah. so it's the way i like it 90 minutes we're in we're out you, you do say what you need to say we don't need to drag this out and i never felt like there were unnecessary scenes that like were just like horror setups that then they just kept let go, they let just keep going on and on and on. It was there'd be a scare, it would be addressed, resolved, and then we move on with the movie. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of tension in the movie. I would say that was the the key of the horror in the movie, which is building tension most of the time. Yeah. Uh and I don't necessarily think every release of that tension paid off in the way I would assume the director wanted it to, at least yeah. for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the time the movie was over, I can't say that I wanted it to keep going on longer. There, It's somewhere around like the middle of the movie, kind of as we're approaching the third act. That's when I kind of felt like, okay, I want things to kind of start moving. I want to yeah. get to some resolution here because I feel like the movie's done an excellent job of laying out its characters problems revealing things about her that help us understand the context and now it's time for us to wrap things up yeah uh and it felt like it maybe stalled just a little getting there yeah i think be i think essentially because this is dealing with motherhood and also with family trauma um it doesn't do something that i that one would think an american film like let's make it comparison to hereditary there's mm -hmm. never really a moment where um, 
Valeria is having like maybe a shouting match with someone else about what is occurring. Was she getting a shouting match with Raul, her husband, at any point? Um, no, Raul just gets to the point that he's like, okay. he just kind of leaves, right? Yeah, he's just kind of like she's she's gone nuts. Like he doesn't know what to do with her there, and I think that is a commentary on like Latin American culture, which a lot of times it's things that are left unsaid because you are basically trying to be this perfect assumption of this person. And Valeria is very guilty of that. She is when she, after she's had like massive breakdowns, she's quiet. She's obedient. She is like on tasks to show that she's able to do forces herself back into submission. Yeah. And like, that's having to do with her having to crack on her bones because she's like so anxious and angry and not knowing what to do with herself. So, like, sometimes the crying isn't solely because of sadness. It's between fear and anger. But she has basically made herself submissive that she, like, all her power has been taken away. So, when you think back on it, that is a little, that's really powerful because in a lot of ways, like, expressing anger for women, and especially in a culture that is full of machismo as latin culture is like you are not supposed to express that anger you are not supposed to like go against what the, the path that's been already weaved for you and i think it's interesting because then we get flashbacks of who she was and what she was before like we see that when she's at home she's wearing like punk alt-right well, she like has a buzz cut at one she point has a buzz cut when she's younger she um She's basically like she's a woodworker. She well, she's a have... she's a lesbian. That's what the yeah. film reveals to us. And the thing is, like, she's working on wood, and then it also having to do like, oh, she's pregnant, and like, well, now I have to. The the husband is like, oh, well, should she have all her woodwork stuff? And the and the doctor's like, well, that's a lot of chemicals. So the last bit of her that is her own gets put in a gets closet. Put in a closet, and it's ironically, like, yeah, and like it is. <laughs> The show and like they see Octavia and it's like this interesting thing that like Raúl is sort of like oh look it's Octavia and it's like not well, for a moment does he seem like worried about her until well, later. We need to explain who Octavia is. Yeah, uh, they're visiting Valeria's family. Yes, and on the drive home it's in the evening and they like stop I think like at a stop sign or a red light and there's Octavia which is a a woman that they grew up with in yeah. the neighborhood. And they stop and talk. And I that was the part where I think it kind of telegraphed to me, and this may just because I've watched way too many movies. I immediately was like, Octavia and Valeria are former lovers. I just know it. When I see the way they like well, like they I talk to each other. I don't know if that was supposed to be that obvious, but it was very obvious to me. I think it's supposed to be a mix between if you are observant. I don't know if you noticed that before they stop, there is a woman that's standing on a balcony and almost like fuzzy in the background and Valeria's like staring like worried that the person's gonna jump and because that's like Octavia a recurring thing and yeah. then Octavia like it pops up and she's like hey and suddenly you can't see the background it's like that she obscures it yeah Be and it's almost like saying like you don't know like you could read it like oh it's really gonna start up because Octavia is there, or is it supposed to be like she blocks? Octavia it is the cure to the. Yeah. The and it is like the ending is like it's not a happy ending. What's well, a happy ending for Valeria? It's it's, a, it's, it's an ending that I think a lot of audiences will be a, sit in some discomfort with because it's not the kind of happy ending that you expect. I think it's a, because it's a rejection of motherhood. But I think it's also a bittersweet one because at the end what it is is Valeria understands that if she does not go to her true path, she's going to end up hurting her child. Yeah. And thus the cycle of abuse would probably continue where her child is forced to, you know, obey what society standards are because she fell into the society standards. And like what it was that the curses put upon her because she's living a life that was not supposed to be her own. And that was because it's a curse that's put on her. I don't really feel like was there a, a scene that explicitly shows like, oh, she is being cursed or is it 
the way I read the movie was it's something that we come to an understanding of over time and that maybe it was getting pregnant was the thing that activated the curse in the movie I think, because it was a lie. I think what it was is that to me, she had cursed herself. Okay. Cause yeah, it seemed like it was, it was not necessarily something based in the supernatural, but much more heavily based in the psychological. Yeah. And I think it also has to do with the fact that like, um, in Latino culture, but this is not like just absent. It's not something that it's not just Latino. You got like bad vibes. In most cultures, it's sort of like you. It might be psychological, but the best event is going to the spiritual aspect of it. So instead of her, which is this interesting contrast when you think about it, because at the beginning we see, um, like Valeria is going to basically like a virgin mary building with her mother and it's like a big monument in order to like bless her for this with this child but instead of going with the church of being like oh i'm just gonna go pray to the virgin she ends up using magic things that go against what her mother has given her she goes to the virgin mary for the blessing and then ends up cursed yeah so it's almost a thing of maybe implying that all the the virgin knew that you were lying that this is not an honest thing that's happening and so she can't bless you because there's a lie in the middle of this well i think it's also situation in the way of what your true identity is at the end of the day maybe your belief is not having to do with the virgin mary maybe your beliefs are more tied to indigenous uh like magic beliefs and that's why you have to go to that route in order to free yourself because if you go with the catholic one you're it's just, the subjugation. Yeah, you're just going even further. Uh, do you think this was a folk horror movie in the vein of like a midsummer? Because it's very urban in its setting. Yeah. The resolution leans into sort of like rural indigenous magic. I think you could into into that degree. And it's also sort of like you can't ignore at like a lot of times what happens is like we have like you can't ignore the mestizo part of like mexican culture being mixed with indigenous culture and like the beliefs that they have in and i'm glad to be seeing it on screen even though like it seems like west like especially like u.s hollywood with they adopted like they came in trying to get the jorona but then they put fucking white people on main characters what was that uh like if you Google it, like I just re- what you what was it called La La Llorona. Oh yeah, that, that was like a paranormal activity thing. They were yeah. it was like a found footage bullshit. Yeah, but then they had I to- think it was like Latino actors, but it was I like so. East LA like think, Cholo kind of characters. No, but I think like they did one and like that woman that was on Freaks and Geeks, like she was the main. Oh, Linda Cardinelli with like oh half, god, like with like her kids being like half Latino. Oh, now I remember. Yeah, and, like, it yeah. Was just, like oh uh, taking couldn't their... have a hispanic actress could you no you you can't um obviously but it's just like it's it's just like refreshing to see because a lot of times it just like there's so much elements when it comes to that kind of stuff that like i'm even guilty of it where it clings to me to a certain extent even though like i have this thing where i'm like i really don't have a belief system but if something off happens in the middle of the night, I'm like, fuck that shit. <laughs> I'm not dealing with that. I don't know what evilness is out there. I, on the other hand, <laughs> know that there's no evil spirit. <laughs> the only thing you have to worry about is someone breaking into your house. That's the thing you have to be worried about. Uh, that said, <laughs> did you find the... Because it's, it's a love triangle is what the movie's yeah. about. Uh, did you feel that Octavia's character, both present day and as a teenager, was given enough screen time for us to really get a sense of her, as well as feel that her relationship with Valeria was like, oh, yes, we're on your side about this? Because I kind of felt like we got flashbacks and I clearly by the end of the movie understood what was going on. Like, I get it, you know, old lovers when they were teenagers, they still feel something for each other, whatever. But it, I was not moved in any way by yeah, it. It I, felt very, like, cold and just basic. But I think it also just sort of, like, I think the, the 
the fault of the movie is that even though it is solely focused on Valeria, we never have any moments where she's like having a discussion with her parents as to how she's treated. Mm-hmm. There's never like only in the past is there a remark about her brother. And they're never mentioning like her brother afterwards. But I think we're supposed to feel a certain isolation with Valeria. Well, I felt that, but my thing was her but, her escape is because she feels as though she's meant to be with Octavia. She's going to the mountains with her, right? But I think the problem having to do with the fact that they didn't develop either character when it came to Octavia and Raul. Like we yeah. don't get any form of attachment to any of them. We feel no attachment to to Raul. Like all we feel is that Raul is like I might put her in a mental institute. And uh, like, I think they do a good job of keeping him from just being a cartoon villain. Yeah, like you you empathize with him you're like he didn't know this about her and like she seemed okay and yeah, so it's like, not like it's he's a bad guy but we also, and even the way the movie ends it doesn't seem like he's a villain no and but I, you're right that we don't really know much about yeah, him yeah we don't know like maybe how deep his relationship with her or like if how much does he love her or how long have they been together because the assumption is Valeria is like in her like late 20s early 30s mm. kind of thing and like she grew up with raul is that what we're supposed to think or that Raul knew her when she was an adolescent yeah. kind of thing we don't get that feeling as to like there's a few cute moments with them but we don't get that feeling that raul is like obsessed with her or really wants to have a child with her and is really pumped up it is more the fact that you are viewing this through her eyes but i think at the same time you need at least a few strongly developed supporting characters in order to keep you engaged yeah because it was just kind of like once i understood what was going on with valeria and kind of where this was going her interactions with the people who are like the main figures in her life feel kind of shallow yeah because like the only true antagonist that she seems to have is her sister the one that's like, oh, oh yeah, I've been, yeah. why, you know, she's never held her nieces and nephews in her life. Uh, she scared my children. Like, she's the only one that you're like, oh my God, that's kind of, a, she's kind and, of a villain. Th- and that's one sequence that I felt the movie was kind of telegraphing early on because when they're at Valeria's parents' house and there's the whole thing about, oh, you don't show any interest in your niece and nephew. So why would you think you're going to be a good mom? Like, this kind of jab. And I was like, oh, okay, there's going to be something with this niece and nephew and the haunting that she's undergoing. And that felt very like, I mean, it's not like the most cliche thing in the world, but I was just like, oh, I wish you had been able to like hide that a little better. And so we were kind of surprised when that scene goes down. But I think it's also like, I didn't like the scene with her and the kids. Yeah, it felt, that felt very Hollywood movie-ish to me. Because it just, the kids felt like little bullies. And then it's also like, I don't know, like, I don't know how it is. Like, I don't have children now. I don't don't know what Mexican children are like in 2023. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe they are a bunch of bullets. (laughs) I, like, I had an instilled fear of the adults around me. Or just like, not even fear, just being like, oh, you need to like be respectful. Well, they were acting like shitty little American kids. Yeah, <laughs> like they're like dumping water on the floor. They're like hiding the control. Like and it, then... it felt very contrived to get her to reach kind of a frenzy. Yeah. And then it's this weird thing that like when they are scared, they didn't seem scared. They said they seemed more rebelling against her as if yeah. like. And it's like this weird thing that then afterwards when she's like, but there's somebody that was in the house, ask the kids. And they're like, well, the kids are too scared to talk now. Yeah, it felt like a lot of like the kids, we we clearly see the children see the entity. And then, yeah, like the script is like, well, the the parents aren't going to believe her or even if and and ignore that the kids saw it and clearly reacted to it. it and, And then Raul finds out what happened and because other things had been occurring at, at the apartment where she has been waking up. Did he ever feel like he genuinely wanted to get her help? Or was he just more concerned about the unborn baby? It felt like he was more concerned with the unborn baby. Yeah, that was the part and where I was I, like, why are you not trying to get your wife help? But it's also like this, I think, like, I think, again, it was this fault of, like, you know very well who Valeria is, but you don't know who everyone else yeah. is. So the other characters aren't as strong. So... I think that their reactions we can't 
they don't feel authentic because we don't know anything about them. Yeah, and because Valeria's actress was so strong, at the end of the day, she upheld the movie. Had it been like a weaker actress, this movie would have fallen apart. Yeah. Because like, unfortunately, the characters aren't strong enough. And this is not saying the other actors aren't giving their all, but it's sort of like... It is where I think maybe a little longer, if we spend that time developing like Warul and Octavia, that would be to the benefit yeah, of the movie. It's just... They just seem more passive, if if anything. Well, they're just props in Valeria's story. And so I think it's I think the one of the problems with the film is having to do with like there isn't a sense of tension within like the people in her life because we hear them say things, but they never do. So it's Raúl. Oh, I might put her in institution. Um. And it's never like that's why I was like, there's never really like a conflict between characters beyond her sister, or how would be like, I know that you saw Octavia, and then it's just sort of like they don't have a moment where it's sort of like, oh, they're not sleeping in the same bed that he's so mad at her, and said she just falls into obedience again, which I understand where that's coming from, but you have to have like it would have been more interesting to have more conflict because yeah, it would have developed his like character. The tension of maybe like them getting into an argument or him putting up rules or like yeah, she just kind of like yeah, there's no fight in her until like the end of the movie. Yeah, and like and I understand where that's coming from, but you also have to show why it is that she's not giving a fight you have to show that other people are like pinning her down because i never got the sense of why she was so broken mm -hmm. and that's another deficit of the movie where i'm like i just i like that was the thing by the end of the movie i didn't feel very clear on is why did she end up in this situation and i know that it has to do with culture like i think it's but they don't like that needs to be communicated because there i'm in mexico i'm sure there's plenty of women you can point to like octavia is a woman in Mexico in this movie who is not living that lifestyle. So the thing would be, I think in the 21st century, you probably have a lot more open LGBTQ Mexican people. Yeah. And so what about Valeria hindered her from just embracing her identity that she was embracing when she was a teenager? Yeah, I mean, like, it's one of those, it's like, it would have been fine had, like, Octavia and Valeria had been walking down the street to have, like, a bunch of guys, like, remarking at them and like having to we, like run away do we even see a scene with like her parents when she's a teenager like making it clear they don't approve of that friendship no um, and that would that would have been like yeah. a useful scene to have but, i think yeah i think it's just like we can nitpick it all we want and well, we are reviewing the movie yeah we are reviewing <laughs> it um there are things that it's almost like it could have been added to it in order for not just like the horror tension, we're talking about personal tension. Because it's much, it's a movie where like the horror is more of a background element to her personal crisis. Yeah. Because I think uh, with things like hereditary, um, there was tension because you never knew like what, who would like, if when the mom would snap, like emotionally, like, or when would they would drop down crying kind of thing. I think uh, from a technical perspective, the movie does a very good job of having some very visceral imagery, particularly. I don't know if it was Natalia Saliana or if they brought in another actor who kind of did this, these kind of contortionist shoulder stretches yeah. where it really emphasizes like the sinew and the bone. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think with that, the sound design of the movie is really good because Valeria has that habit of cracking her hands yeah and it's clearly not you know on set audio because it's yeah. it's a little louder it's a little more complex but just the sound of like you know tendons and bone cracking and stretching yeah, and she does so well when she, it seems like she is panicking like you feel her panicking when she is like that's that's the kudos that you give to uh natalia uh Salion when she's like as valeria like having an anxiety moment and um I think like that's the delivery that you need, but it's like there just should have been tension between her and other people. Yeah, I think it's one of those where it's not a bad horror movie. And if it's the elements of it sound like something you're going to like, you're probably going to really enjoy it. I just look at it more from when I, it's a movie I like, I spend more time thinking about the things that I would do to improve it. Yeah. So if it's a movie where I, I don't just immediately walk away and I'm like, that was great, perfect, no changes. It's like, that was really good. 
But when I think about this thing, I just wish it was stronger because then I could, I'd like the movie even more than I already do sort of a thing. Yeah. But I would say, yeah, if this sounds like a movie you might enjoy, if I would say, even if you're like kind of squeamish about horror, I think you do fine watching this movie. Yeah, it's not an, an extreme horror movie. There's barely any gore in the movie, if any at all, uh, but a very psychological in its horror. Well, it would be 42 years ago, Sam Raimi made The Evil Dead, or Evil Dead, I don't think there's a the in it, uh, filmed in uh, my kind of home state of Tennessee. Uh, and now we have the latest entry in the franchise after multiple movies, reboots, a TV series on stars. Uh, and this is the latest movie, I think, after a 10-year absence. The last movie, also called Evil Dead, came out in 2013. And this is Evil Dead Rise. A reunion between two estranged sisters gets cut short by the rise of flesh-possessing demons, thrusting them into a primal battle for survival as they face the mo most nightmarish version of family imaginable. And it all takes place inside an apartment building in Los Angeles, hence Evil Dead Rise. Uh, Ariana, what did you think of this movie? Uh, I think it's better than I anticipated it to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is just the thing. I came in with low. Uh, you were expecting not to like it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's weird because it's like the last movie I didn't have any problem with. It was, had Jane Levy in it. I thought it was pretty decent. I my issue with that is it just kind of felt like it was it was a remake of the first movie essentially. Yeah. But again, I've never seen the first movie. And this one, I think it does a little bit of a twist and turn in expectation. It's the mom that gets possessed first. And it's one, because a lot of times it's always like in horror, especially when it comes to mothers, it's sort of like, oh, I don't believe what's happening. She's the skeptic. And yeah. then it's just sort of like, you won't take my babies. She's either like a skeptic or a victim. That's yeah. usually the mother. In a or horror becomes movie. a victim afterwards. Yeah. Um, This one was just like, oh no, you're fucked. You're fucked. Well, because it's she, the people who have to fight against her are her three children and her sister. Yes. So there is, it's in the way that the first Evil Dead movie, it's a group of friends. So the tension comes from, can you kill your friends if yeah. it looks like your friends, even though it isn't really? This makes it, I think, even worse because can you kill your mom, even if you know it's not your mom, but she looks and sounds almost exactly well, like your mom? The friends ones, the one that I remember from like the, the remake, 2013, yeah. there's still always like this weird bitterness between the friends or like a falling yeah. out or just sort of like, oh no, I really do care about you, but I'm the fuck up kind of thing. They bring baggage to the yes, table. they yeah. bring this certain baggage. And but it's you could say the family brings baggage, yeah, come it's on. Like, it's always like siblings who have gone through the worst and then just like going through it. But with the mom, I think it's a, more intense because you come in, she's like an artistic tattooing mom. She seems very like loving of her children she lets them be who they are yes like like her eldest daughter is getting ready to go to a protest and she's like you're not going to a protest with without an adult turns out she's going with friends well i would say you know, i feel like it's the kids in the movie are very gender fluidy and yes. the way they're like they the way they dress their hair things like that yeah and then one kid is like really into like music mixing and being a dj and the other like there's a little girl who's like she's kind of like her mom she makes like, like grotesque art or yes. something yeah and it's and then the sister beth is a, like a guitar technician yes but it's also like oh you hear that turns out that like the dad has left the family and so she's like uh ellie the mom is left to basically raise for her kids is also trying to find a new place to live because the building is being condemned and because it's so old. And so you're you're feeling for this mom who's a single mom and then allowing just, her kids to be who she is and she's the person that her sister relies on to take care of everything. And so it's a gut punch when she dies and becomes the first like possessed host of this thing. Yeah, because it's like she's the one that everybody can depend on. Yeah. Um this was written and directed by Lee Cronin, who we previously saw his film, uh, The Hole in the Ground, 
which was was like an A24 movie they picked up. I don't think they uh, produced it, but they picked up Irish film uh, that uses the Changeling folktale as the basis of its horror. It was another mother story, but in that case, it's a mother having her child replaced by a fae. Um, I thought that movie was pretty good. He did a good job of atmosphere, I think, in The Hole in the Ground, and that pays off here. My favorite thing about Evil Dead Rise is the cinematography and lighting. The there's a lot of movies and pieces of media that claim to in, evoke the feel and aesthetics of the 1980s, and I off like Stranger Things, and I just don't see it. Having been someone that grew up in the 80s and 90s, watched a lot of movies from the 80s and 90s, there's this sort of inexplicable texture to those movies. I think because they were shot on film, they weren't shot on digital. Uh, that you kind of they have a feel to them certain uh, angles certain types of shots and I I feel like a lot of the nostalgia bait stuff doesn't get that right this movie nailed it yeah I loved just watching the scenes just for the lighting which I guess tells you what kind of a movie nerd autistic I am (laughs) where I'm like oh I love the lighting in the movie but it's it also kind of reminded me of David Fincher a little bit where the movie starts in the apartment building and there's a lot of these like yellow browns that are very like rich yeah. and warm. And then we have an earthquake, which of course is the thing that's going to, you know, unleash the evil. And then that means the power shifts and we get these cold, sterile blue greens. Yeah. And that's such a great visual shift to let us know the, the stakes have changed. Things are different now. We're not in that warm, loving place anymore. We're now in a very cold, horrible place. Yeah. Uh, and I like that it, this change of setting. And they kind of do a little fake out that I enjoyed with the opening of the movie. Yeah. Which gives us the traditional cabin in the woods by a lake sort of setup. And then that's teased whenever, you know, the movie starts and we realize we're going to be spending most of our time a day before the opening of the movie happens. Yeah. So we're going to see the events that lead up to that. I want to say the title card of this movie might be one of the best movie title cards of all time. Yeah, the, it was... The lake and a hum- possessed human being floating in the air and then the words Evil Dead Rise come up over the tree line yeah. and this like operatic horror music blasting. Yeah. It's so... Like, it sets the tone perfectly. Because it's not... It's not... A, it's not saying this is a prequel it's not saying it's a like a reboot reboot. or anything they're just sort of like you know what the book is there it's come out (laughs) and and now we're gonna show you what occurred like we don't get this weird like we don't have a note that's in the book to be like whoever finds this please don't open they they do a clever thing by building on pre-established lore yeah because in the first film it's you know, there's the the Book of the Dead, the Necronomicon, and there's this like vinyl, I guess it'd be a wax record uh, that has the the spell on it, right? Yeah. And in this movie, they're, the apartment they're in used to be a bank. And the earthquake opens up these safety uh, deposit boxes that are underneath the parking garage. Uh, of course, one of the kids being an idiot climbs down in there and they find the Necronomicon, they find a record. And you're thinking it's going to be the thing from the old movies, but it's not. And I liked that they built on the lore. And the record this time is recording from the person who put this book in that safety deposit box and was an explorer and goes off in a totally different direction. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be like they were a priest. Yeah, and I liked how it built on the lore of the movies, but it still did the thing of it keeps the deadites, as they're called, and all of the mythology around this still obscured because the thing i hate in a horror movie especially when you're doing sequels is there's that worry of oh we have to reveal more about the horror in order to get old fans to come back and we don't just want them to think this is a retread when sequels are always retreads that's why they make them right it's you like that we're gonna do it again with a few little twists out of it this fed us some more things that never contradicted what we knew about the deadite lore previously but we still don't know what they are exactly other than just these demons that take over people's bodies. Yeah, they're just like, we don't know how to stop this. And it's just sort of like, and this is terrible. And nobody should be fucking around with this. I think it's also 
What I did like is was a discussion between the siblings as to when he found when the kid uh, Danny finds the book, his sister Bridget is like, why are you taking that thing? Don't do that. That's dumb. And he's like, but mom needs money. And this could be worth a lot of money at the end Old of the book day. and a safety deposit. And yeah. so he is going through it out of curiosity, but it's like... And the scene where he plays the record is a an incredibly well-done horror scene that just uses the camera and a recording of someone talking to really unnerve you. Because it just lets the sort of, you know something's coming, and it just lets that tension build... And then it doesn't jump scare you. It builds and then the horror of the movie begins. Yeah. <laughs> and once it starts, it just does not relent until like the f- movie cuts to the credits. It's just nonstop. Uh, one thing that I have been a little, that's kind of, I've thought a lot about with more contemporary horror is this trend to really go for more and more explicit gore. Yeah. And that's not a thing that I'm really into it upsets me a little bit because I it's one of those where, you know, you don't want to be Tipper Gore and be like, we need to make sure kids can't see this. But having been an elementary school teacher, the children I taught saw so many movies that were far beyond the years that they should have had access to them as eight yeah. year olds. And I mean, for the most part, all of those kids are going to be fine. I mean, I don't think that they're going to become murderers or anything, but I do think like that can't quite be good for kids to see certain things. Uh, I like the Terrifier movies, which I have no interest in seeing. Uh, but what I have read about them, they just sound just sort of a special effects reel mm-hmm. of gore. Uh, this movie, I want to know, what do you think of the level of gore in this movie? Because it's a very gory movie. It is a gory movie, and I do understand the, the like where you're coming from. This feels like since it is like basically going back to like what the 1980s uh, gore fest was without so much as a like ha 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 like I keep thinking about yeah, no, this movie no... does not have humor in it really yeah, at all it's, it's very serious like snippy little joke when someone gets stabbed kind of thing which I think was good I didn't want like a Marvel movie Evil Dead and I think it's sort of like the director probably just understood that like giving little quips would not be what they wanted to do especially with how marvel has affected everything um but i understand where you're coming from where it's sort of like a child should not see this and it's and it's a movie where children are actively trying to kill their mother and each other at certain points yeah and i'm like and so as an adult that's a very like harrowing thing to watch if you're emotionally mature enough to really understand not just what's on the surface level but like oh wow if i was in that situation like this would fuck me up for life if i was one of those characters but when you're a child who doesn't have the ability to like process it all in a certain way i worry for those kids like also it is such a nightmarish thing as a child the idea your mom trying to kill you trying to kill you especially like if you have like the loving relationship that is on display before the like the whole possession uh, occurs and that itself is sort of like that's frightening because i remember being a child and, and your mom trying to kill you right when yeah, she got possessed by possessed by demons. No, I mean, a child and my mom having like a horror movie in the background she wasn't really a horror fan this typically like horror films would be on like Like cable or something cable and then she's just not really paying attention to it because i have this like pinhead hellraiser yeah like i remember like seeing bits of it and just like just the just seeing pinhead terrified me and i remember distinctively it was a family gathering where i kept going to my mom because i was scared but only to see that thing and then walk away and then, like, being in a dark hallway, going back to my mom, just being, like, very frustrated because, like, the thing that was scaring me was right there, but I couldn't be a little late. Ironically, it was probably one of the lesser Hellraisers <laughs> that aren't very scary, really. But, like, think about it as a kid. It's just, like, I remember, I think it was, we went to go see, like, a horror movie. I think it was, like, the first It, like, remake. We saw It Chapter 1 and 2 in the theater, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and when we saw the first one, it was in our former... Uh, 
home in Tennessee. Yeah, it was like in the in the theater that was one screen theater. Like it was, and there was like one or two. 10 year old yeah, there yeah. i had kids that when that movie came out then my class would be like oh yeah i went and saw it and i would tell them oh i saw it too and they're like, wasn't it great and i was like no it was actually kind of boring and all it did they just kept scaring you constantly and nothing really happened and the, i was like you know what if they saw it i'm gonna talk to them with some maturity about it and talk to them about it from the point of view of like what makes know. a film good like what entertains me and, I think and try to show them like you can throw a scary picture up on a screen, but at a certain point, the horror needs to have some depth to it for it. But to I think work. it's also just like this weird thing of like, like you had said this before when we were talking about the film, like off the podcast, um, on how that's it, off the record. You're not off allowed to <laughs> off the pod. <laughs> That'll be our spinoff. <laughs> Where it's the after show where we talk about the podcast we just recorded. <laughs> How we felt about the podcast. Uh, yes, I was talking something uh, about how you just like how certain adults can't seem to refrain themselves from wanting to get what they want in their horse since they don't want to get a babysitter. They include their child into it. What's the ability to, um, oh, there's a phrase for it and that my brain is failing me. Uh, it's withholding their wants, right? Yeah where it's they it's impulse control they lack impulse control it's they go oh cool i want to go see that new evil dead movie but they're also the parent of like three or four children well a person who is using critical thinking would go yeah you know what i'll wait for that movie to come out on streaming or something and i'll watch it then because it'll only be maybe like at this point especially what a month and then i can just watch it at home after the kids go to bed no, no, no. They drag, you know, their four fucking kids to the movie theater, sometimes at night. And when the movie ends, you know, maybe around like 11 or something on a school night. And it's just, it's adults who... Well, I think there's also... I just feel like they shouldn't even be allowed to go see movies in the theater if that's the way their brain works. I think, it, like, there are... The problem is, like, a lot of times what happens is parents are too tired and don't want to wait until the kids fall asleep because they're sort of like their attention span is gone. But the movie is coming out in a month on streaming. I think (laughs) there is also a problem that I've seen when it comes to like American people being like, no, it's okay. I'm a cool parent. My kid's cool. I let them watch horror films. And And I would say, like, that's what I want to say. I don't think every child in America shouldn't see Evil Dead Rise. I know for a fact there are certain people who really are a parent that has spoken to their child with a level of maturity and complexity from a young age and have done a very good job of informing their child on media literacy and the differences between fantasy and fiction in a way that it primes that child to not be traumatized by things like that. But they are in the vast minority of parents and children in America. Yeah, that makes them the parents wanting to be cool and being like, oh, my kid's cool, or I'm a cool parent. I let them watch all these movies. And When it's also, more the parent's a child. And it's also, there's another level where the the parent will mock the child for being afraid. Uh. Because I just distinctively remember, like, we watched over the garden wall with uh, Hattie and Thorin a few years ago, mm-hmm. and Hattie was scared during um, like some of the stuff. Oh, there was like the the big wolf thing in the woods. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's sort of like, and it's a scary show. Yeah, and it's it's one of those that's sort of like yeah she she's allowed to feel the fear that 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 she had. But again, it was child appropriate. This was a cartoon setting. It was made for children in mind, even though there's a lot of adults that enjoy it. I would not feel comfortable allowing children between the age of like below like birth to 12 yeah, to, to see this because it's just sort of like, are you having a conversation of explaining to them about like special effects that this is not real like there's and i think that's mostly the problem is like there's never a moment where like of dissecting of what they just saw instead of it being like cool well the parents don't have the vocabulary or intellect to do that not that they're not capable they've been conditioned to not analyze media which is why they're taking their kids to see the fucking movie in the first place right like they don't 
I can remember when I was doing my uh, virtual, like online teaching, uh, when my school was still doing that before they forced everybody back in without a vaccine available. Uh, and I remember I had one student and my heart just broke for her every day that, you know, we would get on teams and, and go through some lessons because she had this dad who I guess didn't have a job. And he would get on the TV and play Fortnite and have the, the sound blasting. And that was another instance of impulse control. As an adult human being, you should be able to go, hmm, my child is having to do school virtually. I think playing my video game at you know 10 in the morning at, on full blast, while I also have two other children who are clearly being neglected that are younger, just isn't a great idea. And I should probably focus on making sure that they're ready for the day and that they're doing activities. And then once they're settled and doing things, maybe then I can have some time to myself. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I've never wanted to have children because I have an understanding of what you give up when you have a child. And if I were to have a child, I would give it up. So I choose not to have a child so I don't have to give it up. And these people, to me, I don't feel like they really wanted to have kids. I think they're children themselves and the children they had are a result of a complete absence of comprehensive sex education in America. That's what it is. So like this little girl exists because her mom and dad were never given good instruction on the pill, on condoms, on all kinds of things they could have done. But it also just shows you the... the, the it was they, they didn't have any impulse control. They wanted to fuck, and they didn't care that they didn't have birth control. The, the fact that they had multiple children from your yeah. indicating it's just the lack of understanding of how serious it all is, and that you can't be expected that the child will be able to raise the other kids. Because I think I remember the, this kid because you had explained later on that the mother worked nights. Well, she would work like get up super early. She delivered like loaves of bread, yeah, to stores, and like would sleep, um, like early because it's like she had to because she woke up that early and the dad... and the father was clearly failing in every aspect of his responsibility to those kids. But it's also the default of uh, mostly Americans as to the idea that the woman needs to take up all this uh, work and the man gets to do nothing. Well, it's also a result of people who have grown up in underfunded rural areas where they were never shown any kindness. They were never really given much help or never taught to understand the system that they exist in, right? Uh, and so going back to Evil Dead Rise. Yeah, yeah right? I was starting to think we need to go back. I also think, I don't think the family in Evil Dead Rise is going to be very relatable to the people like where we were from. No. Because where they live is foreign to a lot of, you know, middle Americans the way the children are allowed to be is foreign to a lot of these people. So it's also a thing where I feel like horror, some horror, and I think this movie can be read on two different levels, right? Like if you're somebody who has empathy, you like to, you know, go deeper with horror films. There's a lot here to like work with the relationship between Ellie and Beth as sisters, the relationship between Ellie and her children Beth is pregnant, so we have the you know impending motherhood. It kind of ties back to a lot of the themes from uh, Huesera, the Bone Woman. So there's a lot there. Or it's a movie where you see people and you just choose not to like them and then revel in their slaughter. And I think a lot of people, like where we're from, would go watch this movie and revel in the slaughter of these people. They didn't have Jesus in their heart. Yeah, that kind of bullshit. Uh, so it's a movie where... I enjoyed it. I th it's on my top 20 of the year list. There's not 20 movies on that list, so there's a very good chance it gets bumped off. Uh, but I think it was, in terms of the Evil Dead franchise, I think it was a great addition to the series. They truly put their best effort in, in terms of the technical aspects of the movie. There was some digital blood I did not like that was very obvious to me when it showed up on screen. I hate that stuff. Um... One element of the movie that I did not like, and it's in the script, so this is something I would put on Lee Cronin. He wrote it. So many obvious uh, Chekhov's gun setups in the first, like, 20 to 30 minutes of this movie where they would show you a thing or show you an area of the apartment and the camera would linger just that little bit longer, like when they're leaving the apartment and they have the little remote that opens the 
gate of the parking garage. And the camera really lingers on that red light, green light that lets you know the gate's going up. And sure enough, in the third act of the movie, when they're in the car and they're clicking, 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 and then you see the little light go on and it starts going up. And then at some point that the light goes down and you're like, they got the remote. And it's, it's those very obvious things that I just, I like it. I'm more impressed when a movie hides those instead of being so obvious oh, with it he's also he you having he's writing towards the audience he knows that are morons the, <laughs> like the audience for this aren't going to be the people that it's not going to be the people that will go like oh man that guy that made that movie about the mom dealing with changeling having a switch sides with her son like it's going to be the same well, i wouldn't even say the that same vibe, like right? there's there's like mainstream movies i would say even though he's a director, I don't really enjoy that much. Christopher Nolan, I think, writes really smart mainstream movies in terms of how he'll set something up to pay off later. It's very clever. And what I like is there's a feeling of pleasure you get when the movie reveals that something you didn't even think was that important ends up playing an important role. There's no way that's going to happen in this movie. You know, immediately when you see Ellie working or so, with her soldering iron and all that, you're like, that's going to be an implement of like death or torture at some point. Like just in it's, it's not even that these things are in the movie. It's the way the camera is directed it's, to it's look at them. Yes. We also have to understand that the reason that he's writing it this way is after so many Blumhouse movies, so many like you know bad obvious dumb dumb movies have to between all the smart and emotional stuff you still have to give a little bit of a hint for people to be excited for but like i didn't even get excited about it it's just like oh that thing's gonna be a thing yeah but in a theater you know that some people are like oh like just waiting for it so it's it's one of those where and i'm not gonna say i'm a huge fan of the evil dead franchise in general i think like I like some of the movies, some of the movies I don't really care about. Uh, But this was one where I was like, oh, this was fun. It didn't get as gory as I was worried it would get. Because I really didn't want to watch a movie that was just, you know, intestines and organs and heads exploding. I was not in the mood for that. There's some fucking nasty ass kills in this movie uh, and some brutal stabbings. But I think Cronin was able to focus enough on the story aspect of it that he made it so it just wasn't, it was somewhere between the sort of artsy horror that's becoming popular and then just kind of mindless, just throw a bunch of blood on the screen stuff. It was that very nice, like happy medium. I agree. Well, that was the Pop Cold Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to check out our show notes for links to any relevant reviews over on our website, popcult.blog. If you visit popcult.blog this June, coming up very soon, we're going to be starting a whole new series going all month long of queer cinema to celebrate pride. That includes movies like Pink Flamingo, uh, Claire, Claire Denis' Beau Travail, Wong Kar Wai's Happy Together, and many more movies. We'll also be doing reviews of the final seasons of Succession and Barry, as well as finishing up our watch through of Deadwood. And in the comic book side, we'll be reviewing all of Batman by Grant Morrison, as well as Morrison's All-Star Superman series. If you enjoy what we do here on the podcast over at popcult.blog, we'd like you to consider supporting us on Patreon. We've got lots of reward levels and goals over there. We want to thank our patrons, Morphine, uh, who donates at the sneak preview level, and Becca and Matt, who both donate at the writer's room level. And make sure that if you enjoy Pop Cult, you subscribe wherever it is you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our new episodes are up. Until next time, keep listening. <laughs>